I just sat through your anti-relational voicemail because I have the best news ever. I'm doing a podcast. Oh my goodness, I'm dying right now. It's called Recovering. Okay, bye. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Give me your love and tell me your secrets. Cause we're in this together now. Yeah, we're in this together now. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Recovering. I am your host, Jennifer Dawn Watts, and thank you to everyone who has written a review on iTunes. Um, it's so exciting to me. Like it's, I, uh, it's hard to explain, but there's something about hearing how this is affecting you, and even when people have been honest about some of their fears and what they might find, um, and then how they're experiencing that um, message and how it's changing them. Uh, I don't know. There's just something amazing happening. So I'm so grateful that you wrote about it and definitely write in if you have any questions for me. I would love to have that dialogue keep going. Uh, You can go to my website, jenniferdonwatts.com and click on connect and submit your questions there. And, you know, try to keep it to like three lines or less. And then I can even read it uh, during the podcast if you'd be comfortable with that. Um, But yeah, thank you for saying what you said. And I hope that this good stuff continues, you know, fingers crossed. So um, today we're going to be talking about what it means to be real in groups. And um, I took a pause last week. I was submitting these weekly um, to be uploaded and live. And I took a break because, well, okay, I took a break for a few reasons. Okay, let me tell you the whole story. So um, I did actually have another episode that I recorded. And um, one of the things that people told me when they were uh, saying, like, about speaking in general or writing, this applies to writing as well, is that um, they'll ask you, they'll say something like, what is the thing that you wish people would say, but they're not saying? So I had to think about that. I'm like, what is the thing that I wish people would say that they're not saying? And so one of those things is about getting real. So that's what I've said. Another one is about how I don't think that uh, being harder on ourselves or other people actually works for long-term change. So that was my first episode. Um, But another thing that kind of bothers me, and I would say that this is more uh, particular to my field, which is uh, Christianity and more specifically progressive Christianity, is usually the speakers and the leaders that I've followed and listened to that have helped me are usually male, and often they are married uh, for long periods of time. And in addition to that, they talk about that marriage and their partner a lot. And so I am fine with that on some level. I think that that's uh, true for them. And I don't think that they would have been able to do what they've done without that partnership. So I think that's real for them. 
Uh, but I also think that it sort of pokes at a wound for me because I was raised by a single mom. You know, my dad died when I was 13. Uh, my mom had different relationships that were really hard for me to go through. I was an only child and they were kind of dysfunctional relationships and that was tough. You know, I was running away from home when I was 13 years old. I ended up moving out when I was 16. I worked at Wendy's and I got an apartment with my friend Beth. And uh, I was, I, my favorite thing was when I was in grade 12, I could just call in and say, I'm not coming to school today. <laughs> that, that was pretty awesome. Um, but I was a bit of a rebel, but I also just had a really, really hard life and childhood in that way. Um, and so did many other people. I'm not the only one. And so hearing about these kind of perfect families and these wonderful partnerships, I'm kind of like, okay, I'd rather either hear you talk with your wife or with us about the really, really hard times and the really gnarly stuff. Um, that would be helpful. Or um, how about we listen to some single people or some people that are trying to date or some people that are trying their second marriage or anything other than just the guy with his wife, 20 plus years marriage. Not as interesting to me. So I um, decided that I was going to have a special guest on the podcast and it was going to be my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> so anyway, I was originally going to call him uh, kind of mid-show, but he actually agreed to be on the show. And then I did my talk uh, partway through. I was like, and I have a special guest, surprise. And then he's there and we recorded and we finished the episode. And it was that feeling of like, yes, like we made something, like we did something great. You know, we kind of are, you know, that feeling of satisfaction when you made something and it's complete. And then then I went to stop the recording, and it turns out I never hit record. Oh my gosh, it was the worst. And I just stared at my computer. I just, you know when you kind of, like if something, like a car accident or something, do you ever have those moments where something really happens and you just sort of stare? And your brain is like trying to undo it, like if you break a glass sometimes or whatever. And I just looked at the screen and I was like, oh. I didn't even know what to say. He's like, what? I'm like, we weren't recording. He, oh, the look on his face. And so there's no way we could have just done that again. Like, you know, you just can't really just do that all over again. So we kind of gave up. And then um, and then I moved on to talk about, so I think we should still do that episode at some point. Um, the cat's out of the bag. It's not really a big surprise, but that's one of the reasons why I didn't uh, have an episode last week. Um, but I also just uh, moved on to this topic of intimacy in groups because I think that's the next logical step after talking about interpersonal intimacy to talk about group intimacy because it's so central to the work that I'm doing. And when I start to think about what I wanted to tell you about being uh, having this intimacy in groups, um, I realized that it is just such a big topic for me. Like it is what is the guiding force in my life right now and the work that I do. Um, so obviously my higher power is my guiding force, you know, but I feel like the purpose and the work that I'm doing, that's what it's all about is having people be able to gather because I think that it is necessary to recovering. And again, whether you're recovering from a substance, whether you're just, uh, in my opinion, recovering who you really are and being your true self and living your purpose, I think that um, we're meant to gather. And I think that things get a heck of a lot easier when we do that. And so um, I feel like it's honestly my next book. Like I'm writing a book right now on the 12 steps for everyone, but I feel like the next book is how we gather, which is just, you know, there's steps and there's meetings. 
And I don't think that AA would have worked or would work without meetings. You know, I've really been thinking about that. Like if people could have just gotten this big book and done the steps themselves and carried the message a little bit here and there to alcoholics um, as their 12 step, but didn't have to gather, um, I think that people would have done it that way. Because I think that we're naturally attracted to being independent and not having to depend on other people, particularly kind of a room full of strangers. You know, if I can do it myself, I'd rather. Um, But I need people and I need actually these meetings. And so meetings do a couple of things for me when I'm in them. One of the things that meetings do for me is they seem to get the ick off. (laughs) And I don't know if you're going to know what I'm talking about, but there are these interactions in the world and there's this stuff that we have to do that it seems like, uh, and this isn't every day and this isn't with every person, but there's these interactions that seem to get it, get the ick on us. And so it sort of disrupts my energy and it bothers me and it pokes my buttons and it sort of, you know, gets my ego fired up, et cetera. And so meetings, when I am silent, when I listen to other people, I'm not thinking about myself as much. I'm hearing how people are working their program. Something about that gets that gets distance from that stuff for me. It's like this place that's safe that I start to think differently. The other thing that meetings do, I think, you know, this is my theory, is that they give me the opportunity to experience group intimacy. And there's something about when people open their hearts together and they uh, are doing something really, really hard. There seems to be these components to it. So I'll go over those components in a minute, but there's these components to it. And when we're together and we do that, there is something in the air in that room, in the group that happens. Now, some spiritual traditions would say that that's experiencing God in those times. Um, But there's this word in Christianity, I think it's called koinonia, actually. Some people say kinonia, some say koinonia. But there's something that happens uh, in in the Bible they talk about in Greek. um, And the word that they use is um, koinonia, and it's like fellowship. It's like intimate, spiritual communion. That experience is very transformative. And I would argue that I think that we actually need it. I don't think that it's just this optional thing. Now, I think that we get it in these roundabout ways. I think that we get it in our little families at home at times. I think that we can get it at work at times. I think that we've gotten it in other places in a, in a larger dose earlier in our lives, maybe if we were on a team, something like that. So I think it happens in other places other than church. And actually, there are times where I think that it absolutely does not happen at church at all. So I don't think that church equals koinonia. I don't. Um, But I think that this um, experience of what's in the air in those rooms is central to our experience of growth and development and recovering. So I personally don't think that we can recover without it. Now, Uh, You may disagree with me, and that's okay. I think that's the beauty of figuring this out together. Um, So I'm just more going from an observational point in terms of, in general, um, what's happened with the steps turning into meetings all over the world, and people aren't just doing the steps in the book on their own as a self-help book. And then I'm also going from the perspective of, I can only speak from my own experience. And I have tried life with meetings. I have tried periods of time without meetings 
and my life with meetings is a hell of a lot better. So I keep going because I need them. And so that's interesting to people when I sit down at a Q meeting and we share why we're there. That's one of the, re- one of the things that we do. And I will often say, uh, because I need these meetings. And that surprises people because like, oh, you're the founder or, oh, you're starting this thing or, oh, whatever your agenda. Uh, no, I need these things. It's like I tried all the coffee shops in town and then I made my own coffee shop. <laughs> you know? And so because I wanted the coffee. Right. Um, so that's uh, why it's so central and important to me, because I actually think it's a need rather than just an extra thing. So one person was saying to me about my work, they said, oh, well, you know what you're doing in terms of the steps and these meetings and stuff. It's just like this extra thing that people can do, like kind of like people eating organic. You know, it's just like this extra add on. And I was like inside, I was like, now, like, that's not what I'm doing. Like, I actually think that it is central to how we live and how we thrive. And I think that the reason that um, like we're more connected than ever, if you look at, you know, phones and the internet and everything like that, but loneliness is epidemic. So like, why is that? If we're more connected than ever, we have access to all these people. Why is everybody so lonely? And I think it's because most of the time we're kind of zipped up and we don't, we aren't able to share in this real way and experience that connection in our interpersonal relationships. And we're also not able to experience it in groups. So today, that's what this is about. It's about the why. Like, why is this so important? Because I think if I just start rambling about what makes a good group, I think that maybe it's possible that I won't communicate as clearly, or maybe you will miss my point in terms of. I think this is central to your well-being. And a good sponsor will usually say things that piss you off. So if something about what I'm saying is making you mad, even better, because I'm getting to something. Um, But yeah, I really do think that this is much more than just this extra thing you could do or this little group or this, you know, starting running, like a running club. You can do one of these clubs. I'm basically saying to recover, I think that we need groups. So what are these groups like? Well, I made a few notes because I looked back in my life and I was like, I haven't always been in recovery, but I have experienced this group intimacy and I have experienced this transformative change. And I think you probably have too. So I think that the first step is just looking at our lives and seeing where were we thriving? Where was our soul? I would see it as our soul, but you can see it as just your own human experience. Where were you thriving? And so for me, when I look at those times, there were certain components. So there was a community. There was some sort of community that I was involved in at that particular time in my life. And there are several of them. Um, Another component is that we were doing something hard. So whether it was we were doing our master's degree all together and we were a cohort, um, whether it was I did mission year for one year in the inner city of Chicago and there were five of us girls that lived in an apartment, um, whether it was uh, my very first kind of Bible study small group and we did this book called Experiencing God, which experiencing God is pretty hard sometimes. (laughs) That's a hard thing. Um, But we were trying to do something difficult. So I don't think that it is quite the same if we just like get together for cards night on Friday night or something like that. I don't. Um, But I think that if you're trying to do something hard, like I think for my friend, he was part of a 
college group of runners that you have to run at a really high level. And so they were, you know, meeting regularly. There were these other components, but the running part was the really, really hard thing that they were trying to do. So I think that's a component in what's necessary to start experiencing this transformative intimacy in our lives. Um, the second thing, so we're doing something really hard. Well, the general thing is community, but the, the components are we're doing something hard. The second thing is that there is this high level of commitment. So I don't think our souls are really willing to show up in a real way unless there is this other people that are committed at that level. So I think if everybody's just in and out and people are flaking and you don't even know if anybody's going to show up that week, I think it becomes really hard to invest and to open up. So high level of commitment seemed to be a theme as I thought about these times in my life. Um, another component was that we were meeting often. So I don't think this works as well if you just gather once a week. So I think that that's what people have figured out even with church. They started suggesting that people be a part of a small group and they were gathering at least twice a week then, once in their small group and once at their church. Um, when you start meetings, they will even say things like it's most effective 90 meetings in 90 days, uh, which is a radical life change, but it actually helps people to get sober or get off drugs or stop using porn, etc. So there's something about that hour a day. Now, it's only an hour a day. It's not like your whole day is spent in meetings. It sounds pretty radical, but it's just an hour a day. And sometimes you can call into a meeting. Sometimes you can go online. Um, and what was interesting to me also is in the book of Acts, it says the early church met daily. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, I wonder what that looked like. Like, I wonder what our lives would be like if we gathered in the morning. Like, we all gathered with these values of we want to be real and we want to be honest and we want to try to, whatever it is, live our purpose, adhere to our own moral code, whatever the hard thing is we're trying to do, and then go about our day and go do all of those things and go out from there. How would that affect people and change people? So I don't think anybody's going to do it. I'm not that unrealistic. But I think it's fascinating to think about is what would our culture look like if we did that together in the morning for an hour? Like if we met online for an hour and everybody shared and then we went about our day and then did that again. I think that's a beautiful thing to think about. And so this um, meeting often is, I think, part of what allows group intimacy to take shape and become deeper and richer. Um, another thing that, uh, the fourth thing that I think that is also important is this idea of structure. So I, I think you can have a meeting with two people. I do. And they say that in 12 step, you can have a meeting with two people. Um, and it is, I, I guess that's the line between interpersonal intimacy or group intimacy, but what makes it a more group intimacy or a meeting for me is the actual structure. So I have a friend who's in 12 step who is also in Q and I, um, call him, you know, as one of the people that I call if I'm struggling, because one of the things in recovering is we have to learn to pick up the phone. We have to ask for help when we're struggling and not just stuff it or, you know, save it to talk about in the meeting. So I had to learn that early. They give you a phone number list, you pick up the phone, right? And it was so humbling and it was so hard. And I was like, I don't even know who's going to pick up on the other end. And are they going to say something horrible? And sometimes people did. And I just didn't call that person back. And I have my list of favorites, right? Uh, but this idea of picking up the phone is pretty central to recovering as well. 
Uh, but we'll save that for another day, or maybe we just talked about it. Um, but I picked up the phone, I pick up the phone and I call this person when I'm struggling as one of my people. And that is very beneficial. And we talk about things. However, it is not a meeting. So what makes it a meeting is the structure. And with the same person, I've had times where we have done like um, an LTG group, which is this group that we have at Q. So Q Faith Community are the larger gatherings that we have, like sort of the church type gatherings, the meeting, the main meeting. And then we have LTG groups, which are like these sort of smaller groups of two or three that gather. And the questions that we go over, there are five questions. And when we do that, you know, if there's two or three, usually there's three people and it takes about an hour. Once we sort of start with a moment of silence, we have that structure, people answer those specific questions, and then we close with the prayer, whatever we're going to close with. That is a totally different experience than just picking up the phone and talking to somebody for an hour. So I definitely think that structure matters to this idea of group intimacy. And if you think about your own life, when you had those times that you experienced that, was there some sort of format or structure or something necessary versus just kind of hanging out? Uh, the last thing that I think is um, necessary to experience this it, for me is that there has been a spiritual component. Now, this is the one that I left for last because I don't know. I can only speak from my own experience, but you may say to me, actually, no, I've totally experienced what you're talking about and there was nothing spiritual about it. And so maybe it was spiritual and the people just didn't know that it was, but I think that there's something about, for me, um, having some sort of faith or spiritual component or talking about things that are deeper and more meaningful spiritually that have just been present in every time. So I felt like to not say it, you know, it's funny, there are times where I'm almost like afraid to say what I really think, especially being a Christian, uh, because it's just associated with so many terrible things or like forcing that upon people. Um, but at the same time, being real for me is being honest. And, and my honest experience is like every time this has happened for me, there's been something spiritual. So it may be necessary. I don't know. Um, so that's where we're starting with this group idea. So I think that this is the best place to stop because it's not about quantity. It's about thinking about this more deeply and thinking about this in your own life. And if you've experienced it, if you have what's happened and do you think that's necessary as part of the recovering journey? And if you do, what might that look like in your life? So homework this week is to think about these questions. So number one, um, where is the homework? This is like real time. I lost the homework. Well, guess what? You get to make up your own homework. <laughs> so I think it's just something about like, Think about the times in your life where you've experienced this, if you have. And then second of all, do you need this? Like, would you agree with me that you need this? Or do you think you don't need it? And then why? Um, and if you think that it's possible, if you're on the fence, but you're not sure, usually experiential learning is better than us just talking about things. So if you would be willing, what I would suggest is trying a recovery meeting just because that's a place that's already set up. You don't have to create it, you know, anything like that. It's already there. 
And what they usually suggest in 12 step is try six meetings. I don't know why they picked that number. I know that people um, at Q3 in Los Angeles recently told me that they suggest to people that you try three. I think three is a good number. Um, The first meeting, you would probably feel like you don't belong there because that's the common experience. Most people, when they walk into a meeting, they feel like they're defended. So they start comparing a lot. And one of the first things that they'll tell you, um, if you talk to somebody like after the meeting or like you have a sponsor or temporary sponsor, one of the first things they tell you in recovery is try to see where you can identify rather than comparing. Like where can you identify with my story today? Or where can you identify with the shares in the room? That's step one for bypassing some of your defense mechanisms. So it's normal to be defended when you go to your first meeting. Some of the most transformative change happens when you're strangely compelled and repelled at the same time. So part of me kind of hopes that you like want to listen to these and like don't at the same time because that means something really cool is happening for you. Um, So that's what meetings are like. We're strangely compelled and repelled at the same time when we first go especially, but still. I mean, there's this joke now in 12-step. Well, it's been around a long time, but I just discovered it recently where they said, keep going to meetings until you like going to meetings is hilarious because basically we still don't like going to meetings and it's true I don't I really don't I don't want to go when I go I don't want to be there the first 20 minutes I definitely don't want to be there and I'm a little irritated and I don't like listening to certain people and by the time I'm done I feel so much better so that's what it's like Um, so if you wanted to experience group intimacy I would say try a few meetings and If you don't know what meetings you would belong in, I kind of think there's a recovery meeting for everyone. So if you're somebody who has a question about your drinking, but you're not really sure, um, you could go to open AA meetings. Closed AA meetings are for people who definitely know that they're alcoholic and then that's why they're there. Open meetings are even for people who are family and friends that are interested. Anybody can go to an open AA meeting. Um, if you're somebody who grew up with one or both of your parents having addictions issues, like both of my parents are alcoholic, then Al-Anon is a great meeting. And you can just sit there and listen. And when they come to you, say, I'd like to pass. And you can just listen and experience what's happening there. Um, if you're somebody who struggles with codependency, like me, I'm, I qualify for a lot of meetings, uh, go to a CODA meeting. Um, if you're somebody who binge eats, like you find that you're turning to food for emotional eating, um, then OA is Overeaters Anonymous. And those meetings are great because they're over the phone. So you can just call and just listen and then see what your experience is like. Now, warning. There are some weird things at meetings. So I don't think that these meetings are the ultimate answer. I don't think that they're perfect. I know that there's a lot of people that go, like some people have had people hit on them at meetings. Some people have had meetings where the treasurer stole all the money and like went back to drinking. And like I even had an OA meeting. Oh, I guess I'm not supposed to say, but whatever. We're like pretty far into this podcast. So just pretend I didn't say what meetings I go to because you're not allowed to actually say. It's not for me. It's just the meetings don't want you to publicly say what you belong to. So I'm not speaking on behalf of any meeting, but I went to a phone meeting and people actually call in and they disrupt the meeting 
and say horrible things like on the actual phone line. It was terrible. And so sometimes I have to fight for my recovery and be like, well, that sucked, but I'm going to just phone a different meeting, right? Um, So just if anything bad happens, just don't write it off because there's a reason why millions and millions of people all over the globe in different languages and everything are gathering like this. And so it's worth a try. I think it's worth a try. And if you're not sure, you don't have to do anything. This is a place where you can just listen. You can experience what's happening for you. But even if you just want to reflect, what are the times in my life that I was happiest? And in those times, was I part of this group intimacy and fellowship? So that's our episode for this week. And then next week, well, I'm just going to see where the spirit leads. I think I'm going to talk to you about things that can make groups better, like the how, like today we talked about the why, but who knows, we may have a special guest. Well, I hope you heard something today that keeps you coming back. In closing, I want to remind you, like any good sponsor would, that to keep it, we have to give it away. If I want to stay well, I have to get outside of myself, and the same goes for you. So, who do you know that needs this? Pass it on. Another way to carry the message is to host a meeting. It's easy, it only takes an hour, and in 12-step, if you can read, you can lead. For more info on that, go to qfaithcommunity.com. Thank you for letting me share with you today, and thank you for helping in my recovery. Let's do this together, one day at a time. Yeah, we're in this together now.